Uh, hey, I'm Pastor Brian. It's so good to be with you today. Uh, if I've never met you, I sure would love to meet you after the service. I'll be hanging around up here, and I'd love to meet you, if you're, especially if you're new. We're, we want to welcome you to Alpine Church, to welcome you to Utah if you're new to the state. Uh, we're in our series called The Jesus Way, but before we get into it, we're going to wrap it up today. It's the sixth of six weeks, and before we get into it, I uh, just want to tell you a little bit about the series that we're starting next week, because anytime we're starting a new series, it's a great opportunity for you to be invitational to friends, to neighbors, to coworkers, uh, to classmates, although young people, I think you're probably not in school anymore. Um, but we, we encourage you to be invitational. So next week, we're starting a series called The Pursuit. If you've been hanging around Alpine for any length of time, you'll know what that is. The Pursuit is our 12-week discipleship series that is all about the basics of Christianity, the essentials of the Christian life. Uh, we, we started writing it a few years ago, and we put a lot of time into it, uh, really talking about if, if we could just share 12 lessons with someone who is either new to the faith, faith or who just really wants to understand Christianity, what would those 12 lessons be? And that's what the pursuit became. And so obviously it's really important. It's the 12, in my mind, the 12 most important things that we could be sharing. So again, for some of you, it might, be, it might feel like old hat, although we've never done a sermon series on it. So many of you have probably been through the series before with a small group or with, you, with a mentor. Uh, but we're freshening the lessons up a little bit. There's going to be some new stuff in there. Uh, but it's going to be great to go through it. I think we just, as we prayed about it earlier this year, we thought this is the year, this is the summer to, to go through the pursuit together. So we're starting that next week. And um, again, I want, I want to encourage you to not just to show up and, and participate, but also to invite some friends. It's a great opportunity to invite someone. And it's not scary to invite someone to church. Just say, hey, my church has coffee. Do you want to come to church? Really, that's about all you got to do. Like we have coffee. So I was just hearing this from someone the other day is that, that they were like, yeah, I invited my, my, my neighbor to church and they came and they couldn't, they like sat there with coffee the whole time in the sanctuary and they couldn't believe that they, they, were, they almost felt guilty while they were doing it. They couldn't believe that they were allowed to do that. And that's the freedom that we have in Jesus. Amen? I brought the coffee up here because I need it. I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe some of you still are looking for that kind of freedom. Well, you can, this is church caffeinated. You can have a little coffee at church. I'm going to have some right now. All right, so invite people next week. This week we're wrapping up the series called The Jesus Way. We've been in the book of Matthew. If you have a Bible or a Bible app, you can open up to Matthew chapter 5. And we're finishing up. We've been spending time in the section of Scripture called the Six Antitheses. And antithesis means the opposite. So it's the section, if you're familiar with the Sermon on the Mount, it's the section in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says this. You've heard that it was said... This one thing, but I'm going to tell you this other thing. So that's called an antithesis. He said, you thought that this is how God wanted you to think or act, but I'm going to tell you that actually this is the way God wants you to think or act. And so there are six of them. I want to make sure, since this is our last shot at it today, I want to make sure that you've, you've heard this. You've probably heard this before, but I've got to say it again. Jesus was not saying when he said, you've heard that it was said, but it was wrong, Jesus was not saying that God's word is wrong. Jesus was not saying that, that what is written was wrong. 
He's not saying that the Old Testament or the Ten Commandments, he's not saying that that's wrong. What he's saying is what you've heard about it is wrong. Do you know there's a difference? There's a difference between what is written and what you've heard about it. Right? That's called interpretation. There's a difference between something that you read that is God's word and it doesn't change. His word does not change. We believe in God's word. It is, is, it is our guide for today. Every sermon we preach comes from God's word. If, it, if, it, if that ever is not the case at Alpine Church, please find another church. We're always going to be built on God's word and what God's word says. And we're going to do our best to interpret God's word and make sure that you understand it for what it says not just for how we've interpreted it. That's why we have a team. That's why we pray about our messages. That's why we spend a lot of time working on this stuff. But it is easy to get the wrong interpretation, and that's what had happened in Jesus' day. The Pharisees, the teachers of the law, the Jewish leaders in Jesus' day 2,000 years ago, they were in charge of teaching God's word, but Jesus basically said, they've got it wrong they're off a little bit, not 100% off, but you know, you don't have to be 100% off to be all wrong. They weren't 100% off. Most churches aren't 100% off, but there are plenty of churches that, have an, that they've got enough of their interpretation is wrong that you probably shouldn't go to a church like that. And this is what Jesus was saying. He said, you've heard that it was said this one thing. In other words, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law are getting you to think about it in one way, but they're wrong. They've got it misinterpreted. And so Jesus is correcting the interpretation and trying to get across the heart of God for his followers the way God wants us to live. So we've spent five weeks in this so far, and today we're going to wrap up with this last antithesis, and this, this is where Jesus tells us to love, your, to love our enemies. So I want just real quick, before we even go on and even see the words of Jesus, let's get in the, the right frame of mind, and I want you to get an enemy in your mind right now. Everybody get an enemy in your mind. I, now I know, the first service is really spiritual. When I asked them to raise their hand if they could think of an enemy, very few people raised their hands. But guys, it's okay. God knows your heart. He knows you're not perfect. He knows you have an enemy. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you guys answer more honestly than the first service, your younger brother. Um, raise your hand if you can think right now, if you can think of an enemy. Just put your hand up if you can think of an enemy. There are more people. More people are, thank you for that. Thank you for your honesty. Uh, you're my favorite child. Thank you for that. If you can't think of an enemy, just think of somebody that you would rather not spend the day with. Uh, everybody have that now? Everybody's got that. Okay, that's your enemy for today. Okay, some of you have someone that, you just really don't like. Some of you have somebody who really hurts you, who really wounded you. And that's why, they're, that's why you don't want to spend the day with them. And for many of you, probably, you, you really have a hard time loving that person. You have a hard time forgiving that person. And I want you to get that person in your mind today because I want to make sure that you're thinking about your situation when we listen to Jesus' words. I don't want you to think about somebody else. Oh, I wish they were here today listening to this sermon. I want you to think about yourself, and I want you to let God do his work in your own heart today. Because here's what Jesus said in his final antithesis in Matthew chapter 5, verse 43 and 44. He says, you've heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. 
That's what Jesus said. Couple quick little observations. Do you notice that love your neighbor is in quotes? I didn't notice this till I was prepping for this sermon. Love your neighbor is in quotes, but do you notice that hate your enemy isn't in quotes? The reason is because actually hate your enemies isn't in the Old Testament. Expositor's Bible commentary, or God, God actually never actually said to love your neighbor and hate your enemy. You're not going to find that anywhere in Scripture. Expositor's Bible commentary says it like this. The command love your neighbor is found in Leviticus 19.18. We'll look at that in just a second. But no Old Testament Scripture adds and hate your enemies, though this seems to be the result of popular reasoning. Such reasoning seems to have said that if God commands love for neighbor, then hatred for enemies is implicitly conceded and maybe even authorized. Like God wants me to hate my enemies. That person I don't want to spend the day with, he wants me to hate that person. He probably hates that person. It's a hateable person. That person has a punchable face. I'm sure of it. Leviticus 19.18 says this, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against a fellow Israelite. And he says this, but love your neighbor as yourself. That's the part they got right. That's in the Bible. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus made this famous when he answered the Pharisees earlier, or actually later in Matthew. They say, what's the most important law in all the commandments? And Jesus said, love, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So he took the Love your God part from Deuteronomy, and then he skips to Leviticus and picks this part out of it too, and he put them right together. But this does not say, hate your enemy. It says, love your neighbor as yourself, I am the Lord. Now that's very different than saying, love your neighbor as yourself and hate your enemy. When God says, I am the Lord, it's kind of like when my dad said to me growing up, when he said, go take the garbage out, and I said, why? He would say, because I said so. That's, that's what God is saying here. I am the Lord. <laughs> because I said so. Love your neighbor. Because I said so. That's what, that's what God is saying here in this commandment. Love your neighbor because I said so. I'm God, you're not. Love your neighbor. What we say, what we say when we read this, and this, we can all get like this, we admit it, we all get like this. We read scripture and we interpret it. We see what we want to see in scripture. It's kind of like when you're in a fight with your spouse, you hear what you want to hear. I'm not going to talk anymore about that now because clearly it got really awkward in here <laughs> between a few of you spouses. I could see that. So never mind. Scratch that from the record. We're not talking about that. But when we read Scripture, we say, I see this, one, I see this. I like verse 7, but I'm going to tweak it and add verse 7b. It's not in there, but it's in my version. And we read this stuff into it, and this is what the people were doing is they were reading into this not Love your neighbor as yourself, because I said so. They read, love your neighbor as yourself, and oh, by the way, hate your enemy too. That's okay. God's okay with that. So could you imagine a whole generation of people thinking this way? It comes natural to hate your enemy, and we end up living this way where there's so much hatred for enemies. And where is it most prevalent? I think it's most prevalent in the church I think there's more bitterness and judgment and hatred in the church than anywhere else. And that's not how it's supposed to be. That's not the Jesus way. Jesus wants us to love the person that we can't stand. Jesus wants us to pray for the person who persecutes us. So if you're a Republican, 
Maybe that means a Democrat. If you're a Democrat, maybe that means a Republican. Maybe you should think about it like this. If you're a gun owner, maybe it means the non-gun owners and vice versa. If you're a jazz fan, we want to go to sports. See, here's the thing. The world's way, which is to hate your enemy, that's the world's way. The world's way actually imprisons us, but the Jesus way sets us free. I don't know if you ever listen to the podcast. Every week we have a podcast that goes along with the sermon. If you don't, I don't know if you ever listen to that, but I encourage you to. This last, for, this, for this week's podcast, we invited Pastor Mike from our Brigham City campus to join us because he helped us to write this sermon by his request. He said, I want to help write this sermon. We said, why? He said, because I have an enemy. And he had a story about it that he wanted to share. So just for, just for a minute, I want you to hear a part of the podcast and a part of that story. I was a police officer at an earlier time in my life. And so about, I don't know, 13 or 14 years ago, I was involved in a gunfight. And um, after the gunfight, the suspect went to the hospital for some time and then eventually to prison for the better part of a decade. And, you know, I went home physically unscathed. Um, but over the next several years, I, I, I started off with this justifiable anger, right? I was really mad. This, this guy tried to kill me and, and some, you know, other police officers. And um, it was already a wanted person for violence and kidnapping and things like that. And so I, I started off being justified in my anger, I thought, because it was righteous. Mm. But then what I found was that I couldn't escape it. You know, it became my identity. I was, I was an angry, cynical person. And it wasn't just how I reacted to things. It was really just who I felt like I was in my heart. And I didn't realize how much of a grasp it had on me. And I, I had this hate in my heart that, um, you know, I was, I was going to have to one day answer for, right? Because I was sinning because my heart was so full of, of anger and hatred. And it had gone so much farther past righteous anger to, to something where I just loathed this other human being. Now, I don't know if your enemy tried to kill you, but when I first heard Mike's story, I thought, but no, you're justified. You're, he tried to kill you. He was a bad person. He ended up going to prison for what he did. He wasn't just a bad person toward Mike. He was a bad person. That's why Mike showed up, right? Mike was a cop, if you didn't pick up on that. So in my mind, in his story, I'm like, well, that's the exception. That must be the exception. But what you hear, did you hear what Mike said there? He said, it started off just being righteous anger, and pretty soon it became his identity. He was an angry, bitter person for years. And maybe in your story, that's how you thought about it too. Maybe you thought your story was the exception. Oh, no, 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 trust me. Oh, everyone else's story might be funny and you can laugh at it. You can't laugh at my story. My story is, not the, my story is the exception. Certainly, certainly God would not say to me, I want you to love that person. And yet, that's exactly what he's saying. 
Mike helped us to build these two lists. This is great. We've got three things on the left when you hate your enemy, three things on the right for when you love your enemy. We're going to build this list, and you can add to it yourself with your small group, your family, if you beat the Baptist to Chile after church today. This would be a great thing to talk about. But let's start with the left. When you hate your enemy, you, also, you already heard what Mike said about it. He said he camouflaged his sin. He, he was thinking so much about the other guy and the other guy's sin and what he did wrong, and he did something wrong. We're not, for, we're, not, we're not excusing what the other guy did. But what, what Mike admitted is he camouflaged his own sin. He was so focused on someone else's sin that he couldn't see his own sin. He didn't recognize till years later that, that he was self-righteous. He didn't recognize till years later that he was unforgiving, that he was bitter. You know, there's another word for all those things. Sin. Those are sins. Shooting at someone isn't just a sin. Self-righteousness is also a sin. Bitterness is also a sin. Unforgiveness is also a sin. That's kind of the point to the sermon. But what was happening in Mike's heart is he was camouflaging his sin because he was so focused on the other guy's sin. And then what happens next is you get stuck in bitterness. You heard Mike say it. For years, he was stuck in bitterness. Some of you, that's how you are. Bitterness is like, it's like drinking a cup of poison and waiting for the other guy to, to die. It's, it's only hurting you. It's only hurting you. And then he said this, the natural result, and this was the most insightful thing I think he said, is you end up chaining yourself to the enemy. Which is ironic, because that's literally the last thing you want to do, is to be stuck to that guy. The last thing you want is to still have to think about that guy and to be obsessed with your enemy. That's the last thing. But see, if you camouflage your sin, you get stuck in your bitterness then you're going to end up being chained to your enemy, which is the last thing you wanted. And this is what Mike explained a little bit later in the podcast. Take a listen. Well, again, for my, my personal situation, uh, the suspect in this case, you know, um, he, he was in federal prison, but he was kind of, you know, uh, just sitting there watching TV all day, probably putting on some weight, that kind of thing. That's the way I, <laughs> I viewed it. And meanwhile, I was really struggling emotionally. And, and even mentally because um, of the, the stress that I had all the time uh, reliving that situation and, you know, think about how it was going to affect me in the future. And what I realized was that although I had, you know, won the physical fight that night, I was losing because I was still thinking about it every, every day and struggling with it every day. And I thought, this guy probably doesn't really think about it all that much at all. And mm. here I am being, con- my emotions being controlled by him thousands of miles away mm. years later. Right. Mm. There's a, a saying I've heard a lot lately um, of living rent free in somebody else's mind. Right? It's that kind of a thing. Right. Yeah. The, mm. And that was, that was my situation. And like John says, that's something I think a lot of people deal with is, is that the, their, their quote unquote enemy is living rent free in their mind because they're still hanging on to this. So, so much, and, uh, and they're chained to uh, that person or to that uh, situation. Mm. I don't know if that resonates with some of you. That person, you know, that person with the punchable face, that person maybe has been living rent-free in your mind. They have no idea. They have, they have no idea that that they're hurting you or they've hurt you. Or maybe they knew at one point, but now they've moved past it. Because that's just, that makes you hate them even more, doesn't it? They've moved past it. 
but you haven't. You're stuck in it. And what that means is you're chained to them. You're never going to be free of them as long as you hate them. They'll always be that thorn in your side. Mike, says, Mike said he lived thousands of miles away, and yet he still was influencing Mike for years because he hated him. So that's why we need to move to the other side of this list. The Jesus way is on the right. When you love your enemy, you admit that you also sin. See, when you hated your enemy, you camouflaged your sin, and, and you weren't ever thinking about your own sin. You didn't have time because you were too busy thinking about the other person's sin and what they did wrong to you. But when you love your enemy, you're, you're able to see, your, see that you're also a sinner. You're able to recognize that you're not perfect either. Now, again, I'm not trying to excuse what that person did. That's not what we're saying here. It's just that you recognize that you're also a sinner in need of forgiveness, just like they are. And so then as a result, you free yourself to forgive. As long as you feel like you don't need forgiveness, as long as you feel like you're the only righteous one in the room, then you're never gonna, you're never gonna forgive anyone else because you've got this standard, you've, you've set this bar that you feel like you've attained. And by the way, newsflash, you haven't attained it. Now don't take my word for it, just ask the person you came to church with today. Just say, am I perfect? And let's see, let's see what they say. Because I bet you, I bet you you're not perfect. Because nobody is. And so when you recognize that, it, when you recognize that you're a sinner, you know, we just took communion where we celebrated what Jesus did for us. I mean, that's a, that, the reason we do that every month is because we just need that monthly reminder, if not a daily reminder, we need that monthly reminder that we are sinners and Jesus forgave us. And man, when we, that's a simple statement, but when we live in the light of that, it allows, it, it allows us to forgive other people, even when they've done some really horrible stuff. And then number three, you connect yourself to the yoke of Jesus. Now contrast that with when, when you hate your enemy. When you hate your enemy, you actually chain yourself to your enemy, ironically, and you're stuck to your enemy. When you forgive your enemy, when you love your enemy, what it does, it actually Change you to Jesus. It connects you to Jesus. Now, the word that Jesus used for that is yoke. He, he talks about this in Matthew 11, a little bit later on in the book of Matthew. He says, take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls. This is exactly what the person needs who hates his enemy. This is exactly what Mike needed a few years ago when he was still chained to his enemy when he still hated his enemy, he needed rest for his soul, right? And Jesus is saying, if you take my yoke upon you, if you let me teach you, you're going to find rest for your souls. He says, because my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give you is light. Now, in Jesus' day, the people, it was an agrarian culture, and so the people understood exactly the metaphor he was using. Most of us probably don't get it. A yoke was was that big, wooden, that big wooden thing that connects two oxen together. Can you visualize that? It's that big, that huge wooden thing that, that, that a farmer would use when the two oxen are going are gonna to plow the, the fields. They would connect a strong ox with a weak ox. That's what, the, that's what the yoke was for. It was to connect the strong with the weak so that the strong ox could power through for the weak ox. And the weak ox had a much easier time because he was yoked to the strong ox. Now, the strong ox didn't have a much easier time 
But see, what Jesus is saying is, I'm always the strong ox. And if you connect yourself to me, it's going to be a lot easier. But if you connect yourself to your enemy, it's not going to be easy. You're going to be pulling all that burden. Your enemy's dead weight. You're going to be pulling that whole burden all by yourself. That's what Jesus was saying. He says, look, if, if you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. And if you're kind only to your friends, how are you different from, every, from anyone else? Even pagans do that. So he's saying the world's way, what a tax collector does and what a pagan does, everyone loves people, that's, people that are lovable. You can't pat yourself on the back because you're, you're a good friend to people who are good friends back to you. This is the world's way. This is exactly what Jesus is saying is, is we, we look at that half of the equation. Well, I can love my neighbor, the ones that I like. What about your neighbor who lets his dog poop in your yard? Do you love that one? See, I had a neighbor like that. And I had a hard time loving that neighbor, right? It's the poopy neighbor. That's what I called him. And then he moved. He moved away, and he actually moved away to, to my sister and brother-in-law, and he became their neighbor. And guess what? They were able to love him. And it brought shame on me that I, that I couldn't love my neighbor like my sister and brother-in-law could. And I realized that, that, that maybe I'm like the tax collectors. Maybe I'm like the pagans. Anyone can love the nice neighbor who doesn't water too much. I've got a neighbor who has like a perfectly green lawn right now. I'm like, dude, we have restrictions. Anyway, that's a different thing. This is very therapeutic for me. Thank you for coming. Jesus is saying anyone could love someone like that. He's saying everyone, everyone can love the lovable ones, but he says what I want, what I'm calling you to do is what the world refuses to do. What I'm calling you to do is not just Put up with your enemy. Not just be ambivalent toward your enemy. Notice he doesn't say, love your neighbor, but I say, be ambivalent toward your neighbor. No, he says, I want you to love your enemy. Not just not hate them. I want you to love them. He's talking about being proactive. He's talking about a, a whole new way. He's talking about a radically different way of relating to the person who's our enemy. Blessing our enemies is the ultimate expression of the Jesus way. In fact, it's what Jesus said that God himself did. Look at how he says it here. In that way, when you love your enemies, when you pray for your enemies, when you bless, when you proactively bless your enemies, he says you're gonna be acting like true children of your father in heaven. Here's why. Here's what he does. He gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good. Do you ever notice that? Go drive around. Go drive around and look at all the farmland and you'll, you'll notice God gives the same amount of rain and sunlight. He doesn't say, oh, well, you're a godly farmer. You love me. You, you tithe. You go to church. You, go to, you serve in kids' church. So I'm going to give you a lot of rain and sun. No, when, 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 he, when he blesses an area, he blesses everyone in the area. He blesses the evil and the good. He sends rain on the just and the unjust. This is how God is toward us. What that means is God just blesses us even when we didn't earn it. God blesses us even though we don't deserve it. 
This is God's nature. And all Jesus is saying is, be like him. Be like him. So don't just stop hating your enemies. He says, no, I want you to proactively love your enemies. You got to hear the rest of the story from Mike one more time. Here we go. Uh, talking about praying for somebody that was your enemy. And that can be, that can be really tough. That's, mm-hmm. That can be a kind of a, a thing for us to, we might have to learn to get over um, but that's a big deal. If we can start praying to the God of the universe for this person that we otherwise would hate, that has a, a natural tendency to change our heart. It's hard to pray down blessing from God on somebody that I want to hate and continue to hate them. I actually uh, have, have met him you know, several times since then. And every time that I do, I, I let him know that I'm praying for him. And, and uh, we end the conversation with a hug. You know, for during that whole process for me, I did know what God told me to do. And there was just a point when I, you know, had to just trust him and, and sort of, you know, for lack of a better term, call him out on his goodness, right? And mm. say, you said that, that this is the way to go. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try this mm. and see if it works. And it, and it worked. I keep... I don't know about you, but I can't imagine hugging someone that tried to shoot me. How in the world did Mike get to that point? How did he get to the point where this this enemy of his that was living rent-free in his mind for years, how did he get to the point where he could hug the guy? Talk about being proactive. I don't know if you heard it. He got there because he prayed for him. If you're here today and you're saying, I, don't, I can't imagine getting to this point. I can't, I can't imagine loving my enemy and releasing this guy. I'm not there yet. Mike wasn't there yet either. Here's how you get there is you pray for them. And don't pray, Lord, take them out. That's not, that's not the kind of prayer. Some of you are like, I'm good with that prayer. No, no, no. No, pray blessing on them. Pray blessing on your enemy. And see what God does in your heart. He'll change your heart. One more verse. Perfect verse to end this series with. Romans 5, 10 through 11. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, while we were still his enemies, we were Jesus' enemies. We will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. We were enemies of God. You've been spending the last half hour thinking about your enemy. Guess what? You and I were Jesus' enemies. And he went to the cross and he died on the cross for us. And now he calls us his friends. That was all him, none us. That was all his proactive love. And if you want to be set free, and if you want to, if you want to experience the life that is full, the full life that Jesus came to give you, then you need to learn to love your enemy like Jesus did for us. And you will be set free. You'll be so glad you did. This is the Jesus way. This is the radically new kingdom ethic that Jesus is calling us to. Loving your enemies is the ultimate expression of that. So let's do it. Would you pray with me? God, I pray that you would help us
to love our enemies, not just our neighbors, not just the people we like. God, I pray for the person who's here who really is going to have to wrestle with this because I know that, that there are some of us that can walk away and say, okay, I'm going to do this, but there are others that are going to really have to pray, that are really going to have to <laughs> grapple with this difficult truth. But God, all of your word is true, not just some of it. And so this part is for all of us, and I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would help us. Thank you that you give us your Holy Spirit so that we can overcome our natural tendencies, and our natural tendency is to hate people we don't like. But God, I pray that, that you would redeem us, that you would set us free. And Lord Jesus, that the world would be blessed because of it, and that we also would experience life that is truly life. So we trust you for it, we ask you for it, and we thank you for giving it to us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.